0: Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Kings 18:20 to 46. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, "How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him; but if Baal, then follow him." And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, "I even I only am left a prophet of the Lord; but Baal's prophets are 450 men." Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull, and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there is no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and maybe must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there is no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, "Israel shall be your name." And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the, word in, the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, "Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood." And he said, "Do it a second time." And they did it a second time. And he said, "Do it a third time." And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all all those things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, "The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God." And Elijah said to them, "Seize the prophets of Baal; let not one of them escape." And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Heshbon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, "Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain." So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel.
1: Kelsey gets a hand for reading that passage as long as it was. Thanks, Kelsey. Let's pray. Father, we just pray for uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, Lord, as we look at your word this morning. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I've never been uh, a very big uh, fan of boxing. I've paid a little bit of attention to it uh, over the years. Uh, But one of the most uh, famous boxing matches uh, happened, gosh, probably almost 40 years ago. It was on October 1st in 1975, and it was called the Thrilla in Manila. Maybe some of you uh, remember it. It was the, the third and final match... Uh, between Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali, and uh, Muhammad Ali would go on to, to win the match, and he described the match as uh, it was going to be a killer and a thriller and a chilla. When I get to that gorilla in Manila, hence the title, "The Thrilla in Manila." Now, the build-up for this uh, boxing match was uh, years in the making. Uh, four years before that, uh, these two had squared off at Madison Square Garden and, and Joe Frazier took uh, the-, the boxing match that time. They-, they then boxed again just a couple of years ago, but the-, the heavyweight title wasn't on the line at that point, so it ended up being a split. And then, of course, in the lead up to this final boxing match, the two got in a, in a scuffle with one another when they were being uh, interviewed by Howard Cosell. So, so the build-up to this boxing match was, was very intense, and the fight, of course, didn't disappoint. It was uh, in Manila, it was uh, 120 degrees, it was hot, it was humid and sticky. In fact, uh, doctors looked at Muhammad Ali after the, after the boxing match, and they said he lost five pounds during the match just because of dehydration. Uh, the fight itself was grueling. It, it took 15 rounds, and it really uh, was the, the, the showdown of the century, and, and the whole world was actually watching. Uh, it was one of the first uh, sporting events that was actually broadcast around the globe by this, this brand-new television corporation called HBO. It was one of their first-ever events back then. So the eyes of the world were all watching this showdown in Manila, and it was really an event for the ages. You can still watch it on YouTube, I think. The whole whole thing is up on YouTube. Well, our our passage this morning uh, tells uh, the story about another very climactic showdown. If you've been with us, you'll know that that we've been looking at the Old Testament, we've been looking at two specific prophets, two characters named uh, Elijah and Elisha. And we've seen that that their role as prophets was to uh, provide a wake-up call uh, for God's people, to, to speak about a very different and more real way of living than they had been living before. And the passage that we read this morning is is all about a showdown when it comes to this one prophet, Elijah. But there was something much more at stake than, than than a heavyweight title or bragging rights. What was at stake in this showdown was the very glory of God and the hearts of God's people that had been captured by something else. So in this showdown, in one corner, you have King Ahab and his wife Jezebel and and all the prophets of Baal that they had introduced to the people. King Ahab, as we talked about before, King Ahab was was Israel's king. Israel was God's unique people, but Ahab was known to be an incredibly wicked king. He and his wife introduced all the gods of the foreign nations and, and they set up temples all throughout the nation and, and the people largely ended up worshiping these false gods. And And this was very hard because the very first and most elemental commandment that God's people had was to worship God and God alone. And yet they'd given themselves to all the gods of the foreign nations that were around them. They looked no different than anyone else. This god Baal was was considered to be the, the fertility god. He was the god of life, the god of the storm. And many would worship him as this bringer of life. If we we worshiped Baal, then he would bring us life. So that's what you have in one corner of this showdown. And in the other corner, you have just one man. You have Elijah, God's man, God's prophet. And, And he said that as long as the nation persisted in worshiping Baal and these false gods, then there would be no rain. There would be no rain at all, and God was good on that promise. The passage tells us that for three and a half years, there was no rain at all in the nation. There was only drought, and the people were starving as a result of it. They were emaciated, and the scriptures tell us that the drought was so severe for such a long time that the people began to consider cannibalism just to, just, to, just to address their hunger. In a really callous note, it tells us that Ahab could care less about the health of his people. It tells us that Ahab, instead of feeding his own people, chose to feed his own animals and let his own people starve. So as you can see and as you, as you read throughout the story, finally the climax of this story comes. And, and Elijah challenges Ahab to a great big contest, a, a showdown between the one true God and the false gods of Baal. The showdown would, would be on Mount Carmel, and, and the entire nation would gather around and watch this showdown. And, and both parties would, would build altars to their gods, and, and both would, would call on their respective gods to, to bring down fire and to consume the sacrifice that was placed on these altars. And then, as you read, you see the decision that comes— you read about 450 prophets of Baal who built up their altar and did everything they could. They prepared the sacrifice. They called out to Baal and there was no answer. Elijah begins to taunt them a little bit and tells them, cry out a little bit louder. Maybe maybe your God is relieving himself. Maybe he's in the bathroom and he can't hear you. So they cry out louder and louder and for hours they cry out. They begin to dance and and cut themselves and do everything they can to make their God respond. But then, in the end, nothing happened. Only silence from the heavens. Afterward came Elijah's turn. And for effect, he chose to, to pour water all over the altar. Several times, he, he soaked the altar full of water. And the passage tells us the trenches were built around, and those trenches gathered in all sorts of water. The sacrifice was soaked. And then the passage tells us this. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You see, God's power was on display for the world to see. And as a result, the people's lives were changed. Now, you might read a story like this, some kind of obscure story in the Old Testament, and And you may kind of scratch your head and wonder what this has to do with today. We certainly don't have prophets being slaughtered and and statues to false gods all around in our culture. This story seems to fit more in the medieval world or the ancient world than it does in our particular context today. But it may have more to do with you and me than we originally think that it does. You see, what was at stake in this story was the very hearts of God's people. And what the passage tells us is that they were giving their hearts away to something else. They were actually giving it away to the wrong thing. And this story became a great decision point for God's people. Would they pattern their lives around false sources of life? Or would they discover life in a relationship with the one true God? Friends, you and I are forced or faced with that same decision every day as we live our lives. In one corner, we have the world's definition of what life is all about. This is reality as we know it. It's the, the messages that we receive from the culture about how life is defined. You see, Baal was considered to be a, a fertility god, that, and people went to him to, to find life and substance, and that's what they believed that he provided for them. But in the end, it didn't happen. Baal didn't provide. He was impotent. He was silent. He couldn't do the very thing the people wanted. The the book of Proverbs tells us that, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. You see, our culture offers us pathways to life, but those pathways ultimately will never deliver What they promise. You see, we believe in things. If we just amass enough stuff, or at least more stuff than our friends have, then we will find life. This is the the dominant view that we see in a very materialistic and consumer culture that we live in it's the air that we breathe. Just think about the cultures or the commercials that you watch in your culture. Have you ever noticed that as you watch commercials, everybody's always so happy. Everybody's always in a wonderful mood. And and what the point is, is that if you just had this thing, if you just had this product or this lifestyle, then you would find life just like these people do. Just for once, I'd love to see a Bud Light commercial that shows the Monday morning hangover. Because they never do. They say this is the good life. You see, friends, we believe that if we just had stuff, then our lives would be complete. If we just had the right spouse or if we found the right spouse, then we would find life. We believe that if we were just able to build our reputation strong enough or if people thought better of us or or respected us more, if we were more successful, then we would find life. If we just had a little bit more money or were able to pad our retirement a little better, we would experience life. If we believed that our kids were just a little bit more well-behaved and more grateful for all the things that we do for them, then we would find life. You see, you and I may not be praying to Baal to find life, but we certainly go to all these things to find life. But in the end, they never deliver. Jim Carrey, above all people, actor and comedian Jim Carrey once said this. He said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it is not the answer. You see, lust, desire, money, power, position, security, relationships, friends, these are sources of life that are offered to us daily, but they will never deliver. They are as good as delivering life to us as if we would just pray to a rock or a stone idol. So in the other corner, what is offered to us is God himself. He offers a different, a a more real sense of reality and life because he alone is the ultimate source of life. You see, right after this this climactic event on Mount Carmel, Elijah ran to the mountaintop and he prayed for rain. It tells us that that seven times he prayed for rain and then finally he saw on the the horizon a cloud full of rain. It had been three and a half years of drought and, and starvation and death, but now life was about to arrive at the hands of God. Friends, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, said this. He said, the thief comes only to steal and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundant." Friends, this is what life is. This is life abundant. This is life overflowing. This is life fuller and more richer and real than we could ever experience it otherwise. So just like in Elijah's day, there is a decision point. At the very beginning of the narrative, Elijah says, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If not Baal, then follow him. Friends, you and I are presented with the same decision every day. Will we seek to find life in God or will we seek to find it in other sources? The word limping here means to to kind of be lame or to limp between two different positions or to waver from one source of life to another. I imagine times where I'm out shopping and I I think I ought to buy something and I, I go and pick it up and put it in my cart and then I decide not to buy it. So I go back and put it on the shelf and I go back and forth several times wavering on my decision. That's exactly what Elijah is saying here. He's telling us to stop wavering. He's saying there's no middle ground. There's no both and between one source of life and another. It is either this or that. So in faith, cling to God as the only source of true life. You know, as you look back on this passage through the lens of the gospel, what you discover is this is really a tale of of two different mountains. You see, on Mount Carmel, God, or Elijah made a sacrifice to the one true God, and, and his power was on display, and, the form, and, and, and life came in the form of rain in the sky. And there had to be great celebration because there was finally life and rain after three years of drought and death. Fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years, and a similar thing would happen on another mountain. On Mount Calvary. This sacrifice on Mount Calvary was, was not a bull. It was not a lamb. The sacrifice was God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, our sin needed to be paid for. Our debt needed to be taken care of, so God himself became the sacrifice. He allowed himself to be consumed, and through his sacrifice, you and I can be given life. Just as the thundercloud thundercloud brought life in the story of Elijah, the thundercloud of God's wrath descended on Jesus Christ himself, and because of that, it brought us life. Where all that we had known was death and drought, life comes to us in the abundance of Jesus Christ. So friends, stop wavering. Stop limping between rival messages about where we are supposed to find life and instead embrace Christ. Run to him as the only true source of life. And sometimes what this means for us is a stripping away. Sometimes God needs to strip away the things that we give ourselves to. But, friends, it can be a glorious undressing. Because only then can we find life, find abundant life, find life that is overflowing. Let's pray.